It's that portion of scripture which blesses our heart in a very unique way. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. He is good. He is kind. Believe it or not, the, Be the Beatitudes is, uh, is almost an answer to this little thing that we read. What money can buy? A bed, books, food, finery, a house, medicine, and luxuries, but they can't give sleep, brains, appetite, beauty, or home, health, or culture. All right? And it, I didn't get it from that. I had it way before I got that. It just seemed to me how perfect it fit in. We live with challenges. And mankind and men and women are so brilliant that we can accept challenges. Not only do we accept them, but we move on the basis of a challenge. Whether it be the challenge of fitness that takes the men uh, to the places of health and to the places of weightlifting and everything else, whether it be the challenge of being beautiful that takes us to beauty parlors, can't do too much for us, but at least we try, okay? But we love a challenge. We love a challenge, and we will move on the basis of a challenge. The sad thing about it is that sometimes we're challenged by the wrong things, which then means we waste a lot of effort to gain things that don't make any sense. And so, as Christians, we've got to think double. And we've got to make sure that we don't take up challenges that we don't benefit by. And this is why I love the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, to me, is the greatest challenge. And it's the challenge that people don't even see. They, did, they don't even consider it a challenge. The, Be the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, especially its first uh, eight or ten verses is called by some people the constitution of the kingdom of God. Every kingdom needs a constitution. Every kingdom works by a constitution. Every kingdom has laws that help them do their thing. It's also considered the secret of happiness. The second book-selling commodity on the face of the earth. Now this is interesting, and not only is it interesting, it's kind of ironic. The best seller in the world is the Bible. It has always been the best seller. It will continue to be the best seller until time comes when it all becomes a tremendous reality. And even then I think we'll have some around to remind us of where we came from and what God did for us. And the second theme in books, does anybody know what the second theme in books is? It's not science and it's not health. The second theme in books is happiness. 
And every book that you see, that whole series of numero uno, that whole series on uh, how to better ourselves, that's the theme is happiness, and that's the second bestseller in the whole world. Why? Because people want to be happy. Why do they want to be happy? Because they're not happy. And so because they're not happy, they're looking to be happy, so they grab everything they can on happiness. But isn't this a shakaru? I say it's ironic. The bestseller is the Bible. And the Bible does have the secret of how to be happy. Now, we're not talking about happy in terms of what a birthday party brings you. We're not talking about happy uh, that tends to talk about the packages under the Christmas tree. And we're not talking about happy that comes at 4 o'clock, happy hour. We're not talking about that happy. We're talking about what makes you happy. In other words, the secret of happiness. Is there a secret, Sister Amy? Is, 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 is there really a, a pattern? Is there something you can follow that makes sense? Yes, there is. And Jesus took time to preach a sermon, just one. It's his only complete sermon. There are lessons, there are prophecies, there are parables, there are teachings. But sermon, one complete. With its introduction, with its body, and with its tremendous illustrations and conclusions. And it's this sermon that ends up with the tremendous conclusion, he that hears my words and obeys them, I will compare him to the man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms of life came, and when the troubles came, and when the winds blew against that house, and when the storm travailed on it, when morning broke, it was still there because it was on the rock. There it is. There it is. You see, happiness is not what makes you smile. Happiness is what brings you through. And sometimes what brings you through is very painful. Yet it's part and parcel of the happiness of life. We don't see it that way because we dumb creatures of earth think happy means woo, swing. That's not it. Happy is that which gives us the fulfillment in life. Now, Jesus called the word blessed. The Living Bible's happy. Well, not really happy, but uh, uh, fortunate. Yes, that's right. Fortunate. In other words, uh, people that are blessed. And I want you to see that we're just going to deal with a few verses at a time and with God's help. I want to go through the Sermon on the Mount with you for the next two or three weeks. And by the time you're through, you can pick up your tapes and you'll have the whole series so that you can hear it uh, through. And, and just keep thinking about it because that's the most important thing. Now one day as the crowds were gathering, he went up the hillside with his disciples and sat down and taught them. Now he says the crowds were gathering. Brings up his disciples real close because it's an intimate conversation for those that he loved. But he could never talk without having a crowd. Other people wanted to hear. The multitudes were there. They had followed him through healings. They had followed him through miracles. Wait a minute, let's listen to what he says. And this is what he said to them. Humble men are very fortunate. If you've got your King James Version, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. What do we learn from this? Well, let me tell you that the blessedness of the poor in spirit is talking about, let me give you the opposite so you'll understand it fully. The opposite is the proud. In other words, if the poor in spirit are blessed, the proud are cursed. You say, whoa, 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 hold steady. It's not always that way. Yes, but it is. Pride is a curse. Matter of fact, it's such a curse that it is said in the Bible over a dozen times that pride cometh before the fall. And the, Jesus speaks of the haughty, uh, the haughty heart, the haughty soul, the haughty spirit. Now, what makes us proud? Well, there's an intrinsic part of our life which is called ego. And ego is what's, what contains what is us, what is our flesh, what is our existence. And ego makes a lot of demands on us. Ego swallows up every picture they, it can and, and flashes them back to us. That's what I want you to be like. That's what I want you to be like. And we are. We, we, we become proud. And let me tell you something. There is a pride which is honorable. But there is a pride that is destructible, destructive. And we've got to understand and we've got to be able to separate it. And then there's some proud pride <laughs> that plays both. It does a double whammy. It can bless and destroy you when it's not taken up in true conscience. Anybody waving an American flag and claiming that they're doing this for country and destroy people because of prejudice or destroy people because of the way, uh, the choices they've made or the, the, the situations. Listen, don't you be proud of that flag and don't you wave it because that's a destructive pride and we don't need it. We really don't need it. Now, when we talk about poor in spirit, it's a whole different ball game. The poor in spirit that the Bible talks about, it's the, the King James Version says poor in spirit. The Living Bible says to us, very simple. It says, not, not the, the humble men are fortunate. Now, how do we put that together? Does it come together? Of course it does. It says, uh, blessed are those, in other words, the poor in spirit, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Humble men are fortunate. It's those people, men and women, that know, they're not thinking about it, that know what? That they can't save themselves. That is a finale. That is a conclusion. And God from heaven says anybody that realizes they can't save themselves, that person is blessed. And that's the beginning of searching out for salvation. That's the beginning of reaching out to God. Because we can't save ourselves. Human instincts, because of sin, are tainted. There's a part of our human instincts that's very confused. There are things we love that we should hate, and there are things we hate that we should love. Why? Because sin has caused chaos in our thinking pattern, in our acceptances, in our rejections. You say, Sister Amy, what do we do? 
Well, fortunate are the people that humble themselves. Fortunate are the people that realize, and believe it or not, I don't know what brought you to church today. I don't know why you're sitting here. I don't know who pushed you in. I don't know how many came of free will. But I will tell you this from the bottom of my heart. You're fortunate. You're fortunate. And you're fortunate simply because we come into this place. I don't know about you, but I've got to tell you about me. I've got to be here. And not because I occupy the pulpit. And those that have known me, and especially my family, church has never been anything that I have ever missed. Because somehow or other, deep in my heart, I know I need it. This was my mother's philosophy about school. Everybody had to be in school. I mean, my mother was never one to even take a temperature. I think we must have gone in with scarlet fever. I mean, my mother just says school, and you, 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 you know, the, 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 it was, that, that was it. No one in my house ever got up saying, Mommy, I feel like I got a stomachache. Because first of all, she gave you something for the stomachache, and it was easier to go to school than to take what your mother had for you. <laughs> so keep that in mind. But when we think, and, and this is interesting, when we think of the poor in spirit, when we think fortunate are the humble, the poor in spirit, what, what are we talking about? People that know that they can't save themselves. We cannot save ourselves. And you're here this morning because you can't save yourself either. Like I said, I'm not here because I'm the preacher. Whether I were preacher or I wasn't preacher, I'd be sitting in some church this morning, worshiping and praising God. Because there's something of me that knows its need. I've got to be in the fellowship of the saints. I've got to be where they're worshiping and where they're praising God. And whether you know it or not, I'll share this with you. You bless me this morning. Every face, every heart, every person, every human body that's sitting here blesses me. So I'm the one that takes maybe the greatest portion home with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I love this. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's the entrance to the kingdom. There is no other door. There is no other entrance. Jesus said, I am the door. And he that comes through me will be saved. There is no other door. And I, I marvel at that. Fortunate are the humble. The humble men, humble men are fortunate. Why? Why? Why, are, why is the blessed, uh, the poor in spirit blessed? Because theirs is going to be the kingdom of heaven. Because they've taken the first step in the right direction. You cannot save yourself. Then what? We trust the Savior. And folks, his name is Jesus. If you didn't know that, his name is Jesus. And whenever you can, any exercise you want to have that's good, that's, that's blessed, that's sweet, that's kind, just whisper that name. When you feel a little confused, whisper the name of Jesus. He is the entrance. Fortunate are the people that are not so proud to turn their lives over to God. And that's what it means. There are people out there that have very good intentions. Uh, Sister Amy, I'm taking life on myself. I am going to make it. Well, we can't. We don't have the make it material. 
We don't have the do-it material. Oh, we may have the drive, but we don't have the gasoline that moves the car. We don't have the plutonium that makes a bomb or whatever it is that makes us uh, take off uh, or be powerful uh, or be like missiles in the air. We don't have it. We don't have it. We lost it to sin. And then sin is gone, grinding up every good little thing we ever had. And sin has left us with just, just some murky waters. And that's it. And you say, well, oh, Sister Amy, but uh, there are people out there of notable uh, power and, and, and abilities. Yes, yes, they are. But if they're not going to make it, at the end of this run, how sad to have had so much that it served them for nothing. Oh, God, help us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know what I like about this? No make-believe, no maybe, no timetables. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that say, I can't make it. I'm going to trust God, and he's going to help me make it. And you better believe it. Because Jesus said, come unto me and I will take your burdens. He that are weary and heavy laden, I will give thee rest. Now that's, that's a powerful statement from a powerful God. And let me tell you something. You say, but sister, is that a law? You better believe it's a law. How is the law processed? A law is first stated. It's then observed. It then becomes a hypothesis. And after it's a hypothesis, once again, it goes through the test. And if it passes every test the same way, it becomes a law. And nothing on earth is a law lest it go through that process. Well, every person that has sincerely accepted Christ as their Savior has had their sins forgiven, has had a new life given unto them. They are new creatures and they have a new hope and they have a new song in their heart. So Jesus Christ is a law in the life of those that receive him. You've got to keep this in mind, folks. Because the one that gave the process to laws was God. And he follows through perfectly in his laws. So thank God for the humble. Thank God for the poor in spirit. And I want, you, I want to tell you this, it does not, that poor in spirit does not mean down and out. Poor in spirit does not mean the absolutely feeble. It does not. It's just simply an acknowledgement of a surrender. You're humble enough to say, hey, wait a minute. I don't have the mechanism to make it, but I'm going to trust my creator. And he'll help you to make it. Then it goes on and it says, humble men are very fortunate. For the kingdom of heaven is given to them. I like that. You don't buy it. You don't sell it. It's not a trade-off. It's not on Wall Street. It's given. The minute you come to God, you get. I like that. I like that. And then it goes on and it says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn are fortunate, for they shall be comforted. And what, 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 what are we talking about? Is it the mourning period of death? Is it the mourning period of an experience that's deep and very sad? Listen to this. Blessed are those that mourn for their sins. A conscious acceptance of our sinful nature. A conscious acceptance 
of our sinful nature. In other words, oh God, only you can help me. Blessed are they that mourn. And sometimes, we were talking Friday, and we were saying that spiritual growth is not necessarily living in a bale or pail of tears. But when tears become the expression of the happening of your life, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Christians do not become uh, stone-walled Christians. It doesn't happen that way. We become, through God's grace, uh, very, very moved, very moved, and sometimes very sentimental. The only thing you have to tell about that is that that cannot be the pattern. In other words, spirituality isn't judged by tears, and it isn't judged by sentimentality. But the scripture says, blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that have the opportunity, or better said, take the opportunity to accept their sins, and they cry about it. And let me tell you something. It makes you very conscious for anybody else that's a sinner. You never become more alive to sin than when your sins are forgiven. You see it in your children, and it breaks your heart. You see it in friends and in co-workers, and it breaks your heart. Because you know what it's going to do to them. And no matter how many warning signs you give them, no matter how you reach out, no matter how much you want to protect them, it doesn't happen. Okay? But you still mourn. Blessed are those that mourn. Why? Because they'll be comforted. What is the greatest comfort on the face of the earth? Forgiveness. You know what they say? It's the softest pillow in the world. Our sins being forgiven. They will be comforted. I like that. I like that. Blessed are the meek. And it's beautiful. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is, what shall we say, the greatest difference. What a difference. There's an irony here. There's an irony here in terms of, of our concept of who gets the biggest and the best. There's a conflict here as, as to who is a real mover on the face of the earth. It says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We've got to talk about that for just a few minutes. Why? Because the meek and the lowly are usually people we don't... I like the Living Bible. You know what it says? They shall inherit the whole world. <laughs> Not a piece. The whole world. The whole world. The meek and the lowly are fortunate for the whole wide world belongs to them. Now what are we talking about? We're talking once again about spirit. I hope you realize that every one of the Beatitudes is a spirit. Every one of the Beatitudes is, is, is a spirit that reigns in us. In other words, poor in spirit. What does that mean? You know. The knowledge that you cannot save yourself. Those that mourn. The ability 
to cry for your sins and to cry for a lot of other sins. It's Jesus that said to the ladies, don't cry for me. Cry for your children and cry for those uh, that are coming along, but don't cry for me. Why? Because he knew why he was dying and they didn't. Blessed are those that mourn for they shall, blessed, I'm sorry, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, I, want, I want to deal with this only because many people take meekness as a weakness. You can't do that. Genuine weakness does not mean your shoulders flop. Genuine meekness does not mean your head bows. Genuine meekness does not mean you are shy. Don't confuse shyness with meekness. It's a whole different ball game. When we talk about being meek, we are talking about somebody, now listen to this carefully, that bows low, very low before God. And because he bows or she bows so low before God, her rising or his rising is blessed with such a sense of who he is that we will never ever be the same. Okay? Meek does not mean that you don't make decisions. Meek does not mean that you don't call the shots. Meek does not mean that you don't know the difference between one thing or other. No. It doesn't mean that. A meek person is in total control but never gives up the right. Are you hearing me? It's quite different because we think meek is those, I don't know how to call them in, in, uh, in, in English, but it's not a siempre parado. You know those balloons that you throw down, that you beat up and they always come back up? Joe Palookas, thank you. Joe Palookas, the lady informs me. <laughs> Our toy experts, thank you. <laughs> but it's the truth. We're not that. We're not Joe Palookas. We're not somebody you beat and you put down and then it comes up. That, that's not it. That's not it at all. Our meekness tends to be a part of, and very clearly a part of, your attitudes towards God. That's what it is. Our attitude towards God. Nothing, absolutely nothing else. And we've got to keep that in mind. And, and, and it's interesting, because when that attitude is so perfect towards God, very few people will bug you. And when they do, you can handle it. The horrible thing about being bugged is not being able to handle it. If somebody just, mm, I tell you, you just, you hear, you hear the motors grinding, I'm coming back double. And that's the way we are. Blessed are the meek. And then the scripture says, they'll inherit the earth. We've often felt, well, if you can knock this one down and you can knock that one down, that territory is mine and that territory is mine, and I'll keep knocking them down as I go along, uh, and then I will have, I will inherit it all. It doesn't work that way with God. Because let me tell you something. With God, everything's a giveaway, provided you're surrendered. That's the provision. And this is what makes you happy. 
If you give it all over to God, there isn't anything he won't give back to you. And you'll be able to handle what he gives you. And you'll be in a position and in a place you say, my God, how did I get here? By God's grace. Blessed are the meek, for the entire world is theirs. I, 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 I have to tell you something, folks. That's a beautiful world out there. And if anybody doesn't think so, there are ugly people out there. There are ugly happenings out there. There are ugly situations out there. There's chaos out there. there, there are, there's darkness out there. Uh, there's diabolical people and demon-possessed situations out there. But the world God made, it's a beautiful world. It may be a part of a song, but it's the truth. The hills are alive. Not only with the sound of music, but with the Spirit of God. And you've got to learn. Don't learn to separate the difference. Ugly people and ugly happenings does not make an ugly world. The world God has given us. And blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. I, I, I love that word. I think it's so important to us. Now, if you follow the process, you will come to a very important situation. We're talking about fortunate of the humble. They're not the proud ones. They're, the, they're humble to know that they can't save themselves. And blessed are those that mourn, that have cried before God for their sins. And then blessed are the meek. This experience has left them meek. And it's, it, there's another word I want to join on to this that you're going to like less than meek. He not only leaves us meek, but he leaves us weak. Okay? Have you ever seen a gorgeous child, you pick it up and say, this baby makes me weak. What do we mean by that? What do we mean by that? You simply means that you, you, you're, you're free from all, uh, uh, from all ugliness. You're free from all strains. Uh, uh, just to look at something gorgeous as a shining face of a brand new baby. Oh, baby, you leave me weak. What are we saying? That there's nothing that could come against that child. Nothing that could hurt or hinder us of that child. When we've looked into God's face like that, can I tell you something? There isn't a tragedy on the face of the earth that can move you. You can't. It can't. Oh, it'll shake you. It'll strain you. But I got something to tell you. Those that walk with God own that world out there. Oh, I, I wish I could put it in better words. I don't know how. You own it. It's yours. It's yours. If it's God's will, if it's legitimate, it had to be legitimate to be God's will. If this is what God wants for you, the only one that can hinder it arriving to your life is you by lack of surrender. Because there are things that if you're in the right tune and tone with God, you can handle it. And you can be a good possessor. You can be a good steward. But if you're not right with God, everything can turn in your hands to the ugliest of the ugliest. And this is sometimes why we must be careful when things start out right and in the middle of the road, we decide to go the opposite way. Some people have been blessed of God. Some people have been touched of God. Some people have been uh, given a very special uh, anointing from God uh, and halfway through the experience... They just let go. 
Why? Because there's, there's a tendency to think that I can let go. God will take the rest. But always remember, there's nothing happening in your life but with your surrender. That's why we surrender every day. We surrender every hour. We surrender every minute. Oh, sister, I'm tired. So am I. Keep surrendering. There is no other way. There is no other way. People want to get to a plateau in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sister, I've arrived. Glory. Glory. Have you met them? Have you met them? They are Christian jokers. There are no plateaus. This is mountain climbing and it just gets harder. Oh, but guess what? We get tougher. And our vision is clear. And our grasp is sure. Because it's in the word. And when you think you're going to fly, don't worry. With wings of eagles, we will. Oh, give him glory. How to be happy. This is how to be happy. What else do you want? This is how to be happy. This is how to be happy. Poor in spirit, I can't save myself. Mourn for my sin, Lord. Thank you. Meek, because I don't have to fight this world anymore because I am the owner of everything through God's grace. And sooner or later. And that doesn't make you ugly, folks. It makes you enjoy. I enjoy what everybody else has. Somebody gets a new house, I'm thrilled. You think I was moving in. I really mean that. I get excited about everything. I, we're going to do a paint job. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do I love it. And when I go to the new houses that were wrecks when they moved in, Tony, I had such fun. Her floors are beautiful. The place looks absolutely marvelous. And I'd been there before. I th I'm thrilled. I I'm so happy. Oh, folks, I got news for you. It's ours. It's ours. We, I, I thank God he doesn't suffer from migraines because I think he'd have one from each of us every single day. He doesn't. He is God Almighty and looks down upon us and simply says, I want you to be happy, so here's the way. Walk with me. Walk therein with me. Hallelujah. I love him. I love him because he hides nothing from us. I love him because he guides us through the darkest nights. I love us because I love him because he shows us the way. I love him because he never, never, never leaves us alone. There's not one time in life where he says, Well, honey, you're on your own. Take it from here. Never does that. Never does that because he knows we can't. He knows we can't. Now, all this process of the poor in spirit, of the mourning, of the meekness. It, what, what makes us meek is, is seeing how great he is. That's what makes you meek and weak. When you see God, when you understand who he is, then you realize, oh, my blessed people, we can't do anything but bow low before him. And then the scripture said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now what's going to happen to these people? Blessed are, the, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. The scripture says they shall be filled. I want you to look at this. It says, happy are the kind and the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. But I want you to go on uh, before that. Happy are those who long to be just and good, for they shall be completely satisfied. Okay.
Blessed are those who long to be just and good. In a world so full of injustice, I got to tell you something, and maybe some people won't agree, but we can talk outside. <laughs> Human justice is one big pain in the neck. And if you know anything about the judicial system in the United States of America, you'll almost find out, well, that's why, it's, that's why, that's why they call it justice. It seems to favor everyone that's done wrong. Our judicial system gives every criminal the benefit of the doubt. And then we get up in arms. And we say, why is that so? Well, because we call people innocent until they're found guilty. And I don't, I don't like any other system, so don't think I'm advocating some kind of changes here. I'm not. But I will tell you this. It is far from just. Far from just. And when you've gone through it, when you've sat in the courts, when you've been before a grand jury, when you've been in the seat of a witness, when you've been grueled, and that's the only word, grilled or grueled, by both your lawyer and somebody else's lawyer, when you've been ripped from stem to stern, and when getting out of that witness box means taking a very deep breath and holding on to all the edges of it because you feel your knees are going to go. But listen to this. And this is the most beautiful thing in the world, and I hung on to it in all of my tragedy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, folks, we were created in the image of God. So within your heart and within your conscience, there is a concept of righteousness and justice. The only one that steals that from us is when we give in to not only evil deeds, but we, when we give in to the evil doer, Satan. When Satan takes our mind and corrupts our thoughts, then the whole ball game is different. But while man walks without demon possession, there is a hunger and there is a thirst. There is a hunger and there is a thirst after righteousness. It says they will be filled. Now, if you follow the process, you'll see that it's ready. You have given your heart to the Lord. You've cried for your sins. You've been bent down low, but to God's glory and grace. And now, you come up to face life with a whole different concept. Oh, God, give me righteousness. Oh, God, I hunger to do the right. Well, you know what the scripture says? You'll be filled. Why? Because you've taken the step toward Jesus. And Jesus is the one that makes us righteous before God. And then he starts the process of righteousness in our hearts. I will give you the guarantee of those that are sitting here that when you started with us, uh, maybe nine years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, six years ago, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, this year, you didn't think the way you're thinking now. 
Why? Because there's been a revolution in your thinking. There's been a change in your thinking. And every day you go before God and you say, God, a little bit better. And if you're as cautious as me, I say teensy-weensy. Because when God starts to make things in your, right in your life, wow, he sure can shake you. But thank God that that is the process. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know why? Because they're going to be filled. We know where to go. His name is Jesus. We know where to go. He will satisfy that thirst. And he's going to satisfy it first in your life, in applying his righteousness to you. Do you realize that when you go before God, now listen to me. This is the greatest thing you're going to take home. Did you know that when you go before God, he sees you perfect? You say, but Sister Amy, that's not so. He still does. He said, that is your place in Christ. You say, well, wait a minute, this is crazy. No, it's not crazy. It's just that as you face God, Jesus steps right in front of you. And he covers you with his wings of love. Yeah. With his blood. With his sacrifice on that cross. When God looks down on you, making your clamor of needs, he sees his son and he purposed that it would be that way. And he says, my son, my daughter, you can have it. I'll work my will and way in your life. Do you love him? Yes. Oh, every now and then I want to get up and give God a hug. Every now and then I want to get up and just cling real tight to him. You say, sir, you're getting sentimental. Watch it. That's okay. That's okay. I knew a little friend that when she got really happy, she would throw kisses up to God. I'd look at her, que loca. But you know something? Sometimes in my private hours, I'm ready to do the same. I love you. I love you. Have you met a good friend across the room when you can't get there? What do you do? And guess what? They catch it. Do it to him. He loves you.